So in Matthew chapter 6, verses 9 through 13, Jesus said, This then is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. The Lord's Prayer is a model that Jesus shared with some of the early disciples that's really meant to teach us how to pray and what to pray for. The value in the Lord's Prayer is not in reciting it word for word, although there's nothing wrong with that. In fact, the Bible tells us that we should hide God's word in our heart. See, the value in the Lord's Prayer is in using it as a model for our own conversations with God, learning how to connect with him relationally, learning to praise his name, asking for the things that we need in our lives, asking for his will to be done, confessing sin, learning to forgive others and receiving forgiveness ourselves. You know, the overarching purpose of the Lord's Prayer really is to to glorify God's name and to learn how to ask for his help in living out his will in our own lives. Last week, I challenged you and encouraged you to think about the Lord's Prayer as a pathway. It's a pathway made up of different steps, and each one of these steps will lead you to a closer relationship with God. Now, if you missed last week's message, I want to encourage you to go back and either watch the message through our YouTube channel or listen through our weekly podcast. Uh, Do that before you watch this morning's message, because last week we looked at the first four steps in the Lord's Prayer, and this week we're going to look at the last four. So this morning we're going to pick up right where we left off. If you're taking notes, step number five is this, forgive and be forgiven. Forgive and be forgiven. Matthew chapter 6, verse 12 says, And forgive us our debts, as we also have forgiven our debtors. So this is really two steps and one. And I'm going to talk about them in the order that we see them in Scripture. But as you'll see uh, through this part of the message, that's not always the right order uh, for which you should take in your own life. It's not always the right order for which step you should take first. So let's start with the first part of verse 12, which says, and forgive us our debts. Now, this is often referred to as a prayer of cleansing. You know, confession and repentance are such a crucial part of the Christian life. In the book of 1 John chapter 1, verses 8 and 9, it says, if we claim we have no sin, we're only fooling ourselves. And not living in the truth. But if we confess our sins to him, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all wickedness. Friends, God's word is crystal clear that every person that's ever lived with the exception of Jesus is a sinner. We're sinners by nature and by choice. We're also in need of God's grace and forgiveness. God's word is also very clear that complete forgiveness is always available in Christ. Complete forgiveness is always available in Christ. And when you confess and turn from your sin and receive God's forgiveness, a weight is lifted. And we're really able to enjoy our relationship 
with God and our relationship with others. We're freed to do that. You're also freed to live the life that he's called you to live. I love how Rick Warren explains confession. He says that confession is spiritually cleaning house. It's spiritually cleaning house. So with confession, you're you're admitting your sin. You're taking responsibility for your sin, for your own choices and actions. And this is also a time where you're able to go to the Lord and ask him to search your heart to search your heart to see if there's anything there that might be offensive to him. And he'll point that out for you. David gives us a great example of what this looks like in the book of Psalms, chapter 139. So verses 23 and 24 says, Search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. Point out anything in me that offends you and lead me along the path of ever." lasting life. God is always faithful. And when we go to him with this prayer and we ask him to search our heart, he will always point out the areas in your life that are offensive to him. You ask him to search your heart. You know, when you recognize the sin in your life and you confess that sin to God, he's faithful to forgive your sin and to remove the weight of guilt and shame. That's always a result of of sin. He's faithful to lead you down the right path in life. You know, friends, God doesn't want you going through life with the weight of guilt and shame on your shoulders. His desire, his plan for your life is that you would live in freedom. But the only way that you're gonna feel free is to confess your sin to him and receive his free gift of forgiveness. That's how you spiritually clean house. Remember, when you confess your sins to God, you're not telling him something that he doesn't already know. Your your sin is not a secret to God. It's not a surprise to God. When you confess your sin, you're really owning up to it. You're taking responsibility for it. You're admitting it. Your actions, your choices. And God promises that when you confess your sin to him, he'll forgive you instantly. He'll forgive you freely. He'll forgive you completely. And he'll forgive you permanently. And friends, this is good news. And it's really what God's grace is all about. So there's a Christian band by the name of Casting Crowns. I'm pretty sure you've heard of them. They've been around for a few decades now. A few years back, they wrote a song called One Step Away. Again, the song's a few years old, but uh, it's had a pretty big impact in my life and in the lives of others. So I want to read you the first verse as well as the chorus this morning, and you'll see how it connects to and relates to the message today. It says, what if you could go back and relive one day of your life all over again and unmake the mistake that left you a million miles away from the you you once knew? Now yesterday's shame keeps saying that you'll never get back on track. But what if I told you you're one step away from surrender, one step away from coming home, one step from arms wide open. His love has never let you go. You're not alone. You're one step away. Man, I love this song because it highlights the good news that God's grace and forgiveness is just one step away. And in reality, it's even closer than that. I think it's one breath away. Our God is faithful and just to always forgive our sins. And this is truly one of the greatest promises in all of God's word. 
Going back to Psalms, uh, chapter 32, verses 1 through 5. This is a psalm of David, and it highlights how the weight of, of guilt and shame was lifted from his life when he chose to confess his sin to God. This is such a beautiful text. Listen to this this morning. Verses 1 through 5. Oh, what joy for those whose disobedience is forgiven, whose sin is put out of sight. Yes, what joy for those whose record the Lord has cleared of guilt, whose lives are lived in complete honesty. And that, that's a key word there. David said, when I refused to confess my sin, my body wasted away and I groaned all day long. Night and, and day, your hand of discipline was heavy on me. My strength evaporated like water in the summer heat. But finally, I confessed all my sins to you and stopped trying to hide my guilt. I said to myself, I will confess my rebellion to the Lord and you forgave me. And then he says, all my guilt is gone. You see, the weight of guilt, shame, and regrets being lifted by God's grace and forgiveness, it starts with honesty. It's only when your sins are uncovered and confessed to God that he extends that forgiveness. If I'm honest, the, the happiest people that I know in life are the ones who not only know they need to be forgiven by God, but have also experienced that forgiveness. Friends, God's forgiveness is just one step away. The latter part of verse 12 in the Lord's Prayer gives us the one condition to being forgiven by God. So the first part of this verse says, and forgive us our debts. And then the latter part of the verse says, as we also have forgiven our debtors. The, the one condition to being forgiven by God. God says, I'll forgive you if you take this step and forgive others. You know, I think it's pretty easy to ask God for forgiveness, at least most of the time. But I've found that it's usually pretty hard to extend forgiveness to others. So if God expects us to forgive others, and, and he does, his word is very clear on that. How do we do this? I think this is the hardest step to take in the Lord's Prayer. You know, forgiving someone who's hurt you or harmed you in some way, if, if the cut is deep, it's one of the hardest things to do in life. I've found the closer the relationship and the deeper the wound, the more challenging it is to forgive. You know, when I lead a growth group or one of our small groups on the topic of forgiveness, difficult questions about forgiveness inevitably come up. Questions like, so when I forgive someone, does that mean I also have to forget? I think we'd like to forget. But as you know and I know, that's really not humanly possible. Questions like, how am I supposed to forgive someone that I don't even really like that much? <laughs> Believe it or not, that's been a question. What about the person who hurt me deeper than I've ever been hurt before? How are we supposed to give, forgive those people? What about the friend who no longer speaks with me? You know, the, the person that you spent so much time with, you developed such a close friendship and bond with, and now, now they won't even speak to you. How are you supposed to forgive someone like that? You know, to truly forgive another person, to truly forgive, you have to remember that forgiveness is not ultimately about fairness. If you were to say, Craig, I don't think it's fair that I should extend forgiveness to this person who did that to me at this point in my life, I would probably agree with you and say, you know what? It's not fair. They, they, they don't really deserve forgiveness. 
And friends, that's because forgiveness is not ultimately about fairness. Forgiveness is about grace. In fact, I want you to say that with me out loud this morning on the count of three, that forgiveness is about grace. One, two, three. Forgiveness is about grace. See, just as God is the one who initiates a relationship with you, extending his love and grace and forgiveness first, we have to rely on his grace as we learn to extend forgiveness to others. Learning to forgive others really does start with, it starts with remembering how much you've been forgiven by God. Friends, whenever it's difficult to forgive another person, and I believe that all across the living rooms this morning, wherever you might be watching, there's a handful of you that are really struggling to forgive someone this morning. When it's difficult to forgive another person, we need to remember Romans 5 verse 8 that says, but God demonstrates his own love for us in this, and and then hear this, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. It's while you were at your very worst, rock bottom, the lowest of the low, that's when Christ died for you. Ephesians chapter 3, verses 17 through 19 is a text that we read last week. So I'm not going to reread that this morning, but I would encourage you to go read it yourself. And when you do, you'll find that in this text, when we trust in Christ, the Bible says that he makes a home in our hearts. And as we grow in our relationship with him, it's his love and grace that keeps us strong. See, we have to rely on God's strength as we learn to extend forgiveness to others. This is rarely possible through our own strength. At least that's what I've found in my own life. When you placed your trust in Jesus and were baptized into Christ, every sin that you ever committed was forgiven. And now that you've experienced God's grace and his forgiveness in your own life, you're you're called to be an agent of forgiveness. You're called to extend forgiveness to others. Ephesians chapter 4 Verses 31 and 32, it says, Get rid of all bitterness, rage, anger, harsh words, and slander, as well as all types of evil behavior. And then verse 32 says, Instead, be kind to each other, tenderhearted. And you can underline this next few words, forgiving one another, just as God, through Christ, has forgiven you. I understand that this is incredibly hard to do. For some of you this morning, you think about this idea of forgiving someone who's hurt you and it almost takes your breath away. It's that difficult. But let me share an important truth with you this morning. And for me, this really kind of helps put the icing on the cake and puts things in perspective. You see, you will never have to forgive another person more than God has already forgiven you. You will never have to forgive another person more than God has forgiven you. And one side of the coin really assumes that if you've truly experienced God's grace, if you are a new creation in Christ, if you've experienced that forgiveness in your own life, the Bible assumes that you're going to radically forgive others. You're going to be radically forgiving towards others. The other side of that coin is this, that if you are unforgiving, if you're bitter, if you're carrying that with you, if you're resentful towards others, and for some of you, there's a relationship that happened months, years, maybe even decades ago, and you're still carrying around bitterness, you're still carrying around resentment. 
The Bible assumes that if that's the case, it's usually a sure sign that you're not living out of the deep joy and freedom that comes through God's grace. The end of the Lord's Prayer, Matthew 6, 14 and 15 says, If you forgive those who sin against you, your heavenly Father will forgive you. Verse 15 is one of the hardest verses to swallow, the hardest pills to take in all of Scripture. It says, but if you refuse to forgive others, your Father will not forgive your sins. Our forgiveness of others is intended to mirror the forgiveness that God has given us. This is why we pray and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. You're going to be hurt in this life because this world is full of people and people are sinners. I'm a sinner. You're a sinner. And when you're hurt by another person, you really have two options. Option number one, you can allow the hurt and pain to grow deep, developing roots that completely take over your life. Or option number two, you can forgive. You can forgive. So which one are you going to choose? Forgive and be forgiven. Step number six, if you're taking notes, ask God to guard your heart. Ask God to guard your heart. Matthew chapter six, verse 13, it begins this way. It says, and lead us not into temptation. So this is often referred to as a prayer of protection. It's a prayer of protection. When you pray, and lead us not into temptation. You're asking God to guard your heart from all the evil and temptation that is present in this world. Remember, you've just confessed your sin and you've received God's forgiveness in the verse prior to this, in the, in the prayer prior to this. And now you're saying, God, don't let me go down that path again. You know, there are areas in my life where I've messed up, where I've fallen short. Teach me how to run from temptation. Teach me how to turn the other way. This kind of prayer is all about asking God to help teach you how to refocus your thoughts, your words, and your actions on things that honor and glorify him above all else and are good for others and yourself. So when you pray and lead us not into temptation, I think a natural question to ask is, well, what is temptation? In this portion of the Lord's Prayer, you're certainly praying that God would help keep you from doing wrong. But temptation is not just the allure to do something wrong or something bad. Temptation is also about not doing the right thing. So just like you can be tempted to do wrong, you can also be tempted to not do the right thing. And I don't know that we think about that very often. Really, the definitive verse on this truth is James chapter 4, verse 17. It says, remember, so right away we should remember this. It's something to remember. It is sin to know what you ought to do and then not do it. It's sin to know what you ought to do and then not do it. See, we tend to think that temptation and sin is only doing something wrong. And really, that's, that's only half of it. James tells us that sin is also not doing what is right. And these two kinds of sin are sometimes called sins of commission, that's doing what's wrong, and sins of omission, that's not doing what is right. A few examples of this. It's a sin to lie. I think we all understand that. We all know that. But it can also be a sin to know the truth and then choose to not act on it and share it with others. 
I don't know if you've ever thought about that before. It's a sin to gossip. We shouldn't talk about people behind their backs or to their face. We shouldn't do that. But it's also a sin to avoid a brother or sister in Christ who is hurting when you know that what he or she needs is a friend. So when you pray this portion of the Lord's Prayer, for sure it's right to ask God to help guard your heart from doing wrong, but you should also ask God to help you recognize and do what is right. I think so often in the church, we spend so much of our time talking about what we shouldn't do and what's wrong. In reality, we should spend most of our time talking about what we should do. When you pray this portion of the Lord's Prayer, ask God to guard your heart against the temptation of being lazy. You know, I think so often it's so easy to just, just be lazy. And I'm not talking about when you've had a, you know, a, a full week of work and you just want to lounge on the couch a little bit. I'm, just, I'm talking about daily, that laziness. Ask God to guard your heart against that because we've seen time and time again how that leads to anxiety and then eventually depression. Ask God to guard your heart against the temptation of doing the easier thing and not the right thing. What about the temptation of doing only what's best for you and maybe what's not in the best interests of others? You know, as Christians, we're called to live an upside-down lifestyle. It's different from the world. We follow Jesus. We carry our cross. And a lot of times we make decisions that are really only for our benefit when we should be thinking about the benefit of others. What about the temptation to give your time to things that are unimportant and add no spiritual value to your life? The, the music we listen to, the movies we watch, specific people we hang out with, books that we read. You know, sometimes we, we, we come to church and we sit in a chair or you know, we watch at home. We turn it off and then we immediately go back to doing things that add no value or benefit to our walk with Christ. Ask God to guard your heart against the temptation and sin of commission, doing what's wrong, but also omission, not doing what is right. Ask God to guard your heart. Step number seven, if you're taking notes, depend on God's power. Depend on God's power. Matthew chapter six, verse 13 it says, deliver us from the evil one. Deliver us from the evil one. This is often referred to as a prayer of deliverance or deciding to engage in spiritual warfare. You know, when you're overwhelmed in life, and there's certainly a lot of that happening right now, when you feel you're under attack, falsely accused, or even mistreated by others, an important question to ask yourself is who or what are you going to turn to? Who or what are you going to turn to? Do you try and defend yourself? Do you turn to a friend? And, and there's certainly nothing wrong with that. We should surround ourselves with people who can help bear burdens that, that we're facing. But really the main point here and what I'm trying to get at is, do you try and defend yourself or do you trust in God? Do you rely on his power? So in this prayer, deliver us from the evil one, you're asking God to help you. In fact, you could really describe this prayer with one word. This, this portion of this verse could be described with one word, and that word is help. Maybe today you need to scream that at the top of your lungs. You've been indoors for a few months now. Maybe the kids are just running all over you. Maybe you haven't seen the people that you love in a while, and you need to just yell it at the top of your lungs. If you need to do that this morning, go ahead and do it. Help. God's word tells us in John chapter 10, verse 10, that uh, we have an enemy. Christians have an enemy who's trying to steal from us, kill us, and destroy us. 
When you pray, deliver us from the evil one, you are taking a stand against the enemy as you choose to rely on God's strength and his power to help you through your time of need. See, when you need God's help, there's a few places that we can go that I think are, are, are solid, uh, the right choices, the right places. Two of those would be, first and foremost, God's word and also prayer. You know, there's, there's power in God's word. It's alive and active, and it'll help you find the strength that you need to fight the strategies of the devil. In fact, the, the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God, um, as well as, as prayer, are the only offensive weapons that we see when we learn about putting on the full armor of God in Ephesians chapter 6. When you're going through the storms of life, when you're going through a difficult season or you feel under attack, pray that God would protect you. Maybe all that you can say is help. Rely on his strength and his power to help you get through whatever it is that you're going through. You don't have to fight your battles alone. And we actually sing songs about that on Sunday morning. And it's the truth. You don't have to fight your battles alone. God wants to help you and teach you how to depend on his strength and his power. Before we look at this last step in the Lord's Prayer, step number eight, I want to review the model of prayer that we've been given up to this point. Remember, if there was a better way for us to pray, God would have shared that with us. We have examples of prayers all throughout scripture and they're all amazing and we can learn from those. But this came directly from Jesus and he said, this is how you should pray. The model of the Lord's prayer contains everything that we need for this life. So step number one, if you remember to last week, connect with God relationally. When you go to God in prayer, connect with him relationally. Remember, he's your heavenly father who loves you. Step number two, worship his name. Before you ask anything of God, spend a few moments worshiping, focusing on who God is and what he's done. Step number three, pray his agenda first. Daily submit your life to God's plan and his purposes. And remember that his plans are always better than our own. Step number four, depend on him for everything. God has promised to meet all your needs. Not always your greeds, but always your needs. So trust him today as your perfect provider. If you've lost your job, if you know someone who has, if you're really struggling to make it day to day, you know, pray that God would provide for you. He's promised that he would. Step number five, the first thing we looked at today, forgive and be forgiven. I think the, the most difficult step in the Lord's prayer, you see how we forgive others is intended to mirror the forgiveness that God has given us. If you're a follower of Jesus, you should be a radical forgiver, period. Because you've experienced God's grace and forgiveness in your own life. And some of you, uh, right now, if there's someone that you need to forgive, if there's unforgiveness in your life, turn the sermon off and go take care of it. That's the first step. Step number six, ask God to guard your heart. Pray that God would help protect you from the temptations of, of sin, uh, of commission, as well as omission. You know, doing the wrong thing, but also not doing the right thing. We need to ask God to help guard our hearts in those areas, to help us recognize that. Step number seven, depend on God's power. Ask for his help in arming you with the right weapons to fight the schemes of the devil. Remember, you don't have to fight your battles alone. God is with you. So the last step in the Lord's Prayer, step number eight, if you're taking notes, express faith in God's ability. 
express faith in God's ability. Matthew chapter 6, verse 13, just the very end of this verse, it says, Yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. This is often referred to as a prayer of victory. You see, God is more than able to move in every situation. So ending your time of prayer by claiming that all authority belongs to him, all power flows from him, and the victory belongs to him is a reminder about who he is and what he's able to do. Nothing is impossible with God. Nothing. There are so many passages and so many verses that remind us of this, but one of my favorites is Jeremiah 32, verse 17. It says, O sovereign Lord, you made the heavens and earth by your strong hand and powerful arm. Nothing is too hard for you. As you end your time of prayer, remind yourself of God's limitless power. See, we have limitations to what we can do in this life, but there are no limitations to God. And let him know that your faith is in him today, in his ability and not your own. Yours is the kingdom. All authority belongs to God. Yours is the power. All power flows from God. And yours is the glory. Friends, the victory belongs to God. And because the victory belongs to God, the victory is ours as well because we are in Christ.